Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the 6Ms of Manufacturing Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Temple. Let's be honest, hiring isn't easy. Whether you're handling it internally or outsourcing to a third party, a successful hiring process hinges on a few key factors. In this episode, we welcome Mark Wojcik, the founder and president of East Park Avenue Talent Consulting. With 14 years of experience in recruiting and staffing prior to starting his own consulting firm, he's well-versed in the common hiring challenges encountered by business owners today. Check it out. Mark, first of all, I just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for coming. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. So, um, you know, you and I have kind of talked offline about, um, you know, recruiting and some of the things that happen in that space. And you have a lot of years of experience in in the whole recruiting. Is it 14 years of experience in recruiting? Itself? Yeah, 14, man. It feels like 30 when you, uh, it's like <laughs> dog years when, 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 when you're, uh, when you're in recruiting, it's like dog years. <laughs> I'm sure you have some stories. You probably got some war stories to share. <laughs> more, more than you'd care to know, and more than uh, I think that are allowed on a on a program like this. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that you and I have talked about before, and I really think is is very compelling and, and relevant, is you know, you kind of position it as like you know, trouble with the misses. You know, the things that um, tend to go wrong when you look at recruiting practices in, in we focus on manufacturing but at business at large right there's probably some consistency of, across different um, business segments but you know can you talk a little bit about that kind of provide some context for those people who haven't heard you say that before yeah that, that's great I, I came up with trouble with the misses is uh, kind of a a play on you know when when things don't go right at, at home right and, and and maybe the uh, one of the spouses in the doghouse a little bit as as it, as it were. But yeah, there's some studies that have been shown that that uh, over 40% of turnover or uh, missed hiring opportunities uh, come when there's the chosen candidate was actually in the pipeline. And it usually what we find, especially with manufacturers, privately held companies, some small businesses as well is is uh, is is misalignment within the organization. Um, a lot of times miscommunication, um, misguided personnel, misuse of systems, misuse of tools, technology, um, mis, mis, uh, uh, misinterpreted uh, expectations from either the hiring manager, the HR team, the leadership team, and then ultimately those misalignments, miscommunications, and, and, and misguided expectations uh, fall back on the candidates. And so uh, many times we see that candidates either get frustrated uh, the, the the hiring process is drawn out longer than it ought to be and, and longer than it should be based on industry standards. And and the person gets another job. Uh, they take another opportunity or they get so fed up because uh, they feel like they've been pulling teeth to get a, get a new opportunity uh, with the organization that had it in their fingertips and let it slip through. Yeah. How long? I mean, that's a good question. So kind of that cycle of time, how long should that be? What are industry standards for that? Yeah, and so it's different for every level of position, but rough rough estimates somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty four and a half days, and so that's averaged beyond you know anywhere from executive level positions down to you know production level positions or or hourly workforce, and uh, so it's it's going to vary for each position. But the important piece is that every company has their own targets and kind of key performance indicators KPIs, if you will, uh, for for targets of time to hire. And so, you know, a lot of times companies we see they they don't they don't have anything to base off of 
other than the kind of the the one or zero mentality. It's 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 did we make the hire or did we not make the hire? And there's no benchmark to whether, hey, we had a good process. We did our math right. We just didn't get the answer right. All right. So um, a lot of companies are left with their head scratching and, you know, leadership's frustrated because they, they, they see loss of productivity. Hiring managers are frustrated because their team is overworked uh, and, 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 and maybe they're, they're frustrated, too, with additional costs of buildup of loss of pro- productivity. And then a lot of it falls on either operations or HR administration who may be charged with leading some of the recruiting activities. And, and, and then the fingers start pointing at them. Well, hey, that was your job. How come you dropped the ball? And they got one of two things. You either start over or they pick up the phone and call a staffing agency. Because, of course, that's got to be the answer is you got to call the staffing firm. Right. So that incurs more costs, more expenses to where maybe the organization, if it had gotten out of its own way, with all due respect, could have been able to fill this job without leveraging external support. Yeah. And I mean, when I think about recruiting and and we've talked about this offline before, and, and I got a couple of questions around that. But one thing I think about is we're not really mobilized around you know, the whole process of hiring somebody until it becomes absolutely, you know, a must have, right? So we're not planning ahead, you know, aligning things in terms of, like you said, misalignment of expectations, or we're really not having conversations about what we're even looking for, you know, what our needs are. It's it's very much a, a reactive posturing. I mean, you know, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I was, and being re- in recruiting before, I'm sure you probably got the, you know, urgent call of, <laughs> I've got this need and I, I need it right now. So I'm sure you've probably experienced that on the receiving end when you were recruiting, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And having worked 10 years in an agency recruiting and headhunting and staffing, uh, you know, we loved getting those calls because there was an intense sense of urgency. There was, you know, some somebody's jobs on the line and somebody's going to lose a customer potentially if they don't get this job filled. So now they're at wit's end and they're prepared to stroke a big, big check uh, to to that firm filling filling the job. Um, but a lot of times the 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 issue is that and it's 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 crazy to me, especially in working so many times with manufacturers, is that manufacturers have such such specific processes, such intricate standard operating procedures for the products that they make, uh, the services they provide and how they deliver it to their customers from creation, you know, uh, building, designing, building, logistics, supply chain. But then when it comes to recruiting, it's a lot of guesswork. And what we find, and especially when, when conducting a recruitment audit, what we find is that companies don't prioritize hiring especially mid-sized manufacturers, privately held companies, they're focused on driving revenue. They're focused on driving product and getting it out the door and getting it shipped to customers. Absolutely imperative. However, if you don't have the right people, you can't deliver on those promises that you've made to customers. So we, 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 we try to challenge these organizations to think of hiring, recruiting, retention as if it were your product and come up with a unique standard operating procedure for your organization that's succinct. It's built in with specific timelines. Everybody knows whose role is what within the process. And that way you get the product, uh, instead of out the door, you get the product in in the chair, uh, as we say, um, as quick as possible. 
Right. And, and we focus a lot on systems, to your point. I mean, in our experience, it's the more that things are systematized. Again, you get consistency, you get the outcomes that you're looking for. But a lot of times when you start getting outside of sort of the tangibles and you start going to some of those other support processes, there's less systems in place for those types of things, to your point. And, and we do still see that quite a bit. Um, yeah, exactly. When it comes to because you mentioned something earlier and you were talking about, you know, sort of the you know, HR kind of bears the brunt at the end of the day for things that, you know, perhaps don't go well, because, you know, ultimately they're they're the ones that people recognize as being in the people business. You know, you're the one bringing them in, you're the one handling any you know types of employee concerns or issues. But, you know, at a broader scale, there are more people involved in, in that whole process of trying to find candidates and fill jobs, right? I mean, can you talk a little bit about kind of this, the chain of ownership and at a global yeah. level for that type of thing versus just the HR or HR generalist that might be involved in that process. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love that. And it's a big problem. And we've seen it consistently with our clients, specifically in manufacturing. We had a client in, in 2022 in Hickory um, that didn't have any in-house talent acquisition. Uh, their HR business partners were tasked with the responsibility of recruitment, right? Um, but they also had a hundred other priorities. They had a hundred other things from benefits to payroll to employee relations, negotiation, contracts, onboarding, all these different things. But it, we, we found through a recruitment audit that like they were moonlighting as recruiters. So meanwhile, the, the hiring managers were holding them accountable for not delivering candidates, not finding resumes when they were doing it in their spare time. Even one of the individuals that we that we interviewed through the recruitment audit found out that, you know, she didn't even like doing recruitment. She didn't feel comfortable with it. She didn't know how to do it. But yet it was on her job description. Right. So uh, what we find a lot of times is that maybe the HR team or the talent acquisition group, the in-house corporate recruiter is doing things the right way. But yet the hiring managers, the hiring department is getting it wrong. They're not prioritizing things like delivering on feedback, debriefing with the talent acquisition team, uh, giving giving constructive feedback to the HR team or the talent acquisition team. Another client we had in 2022 in Gaston County here in North Carolina uh, was the same thing. They had an in-house corporate talent acquisition team, something that not a lot of manufacturers maybe even have access to or have the, the bandwidth for. They were doing a great job of sourcing candidates. They were bringing them in, they were vetting them, they were getting all the acceptable information, understanding their true motivators for changing their job, changing their career. And as soon as it hit the desk of the hiring manager, things went haywire, things went off the radar, things went sideways. And they couldn't understand why their hiring timelines were over 50 or 60 days for some exempt positions. They couldn't understand why people were turning down offers when it was getting to the offer stage. And again, through a recruitment audit, what we found was that uh, these hiring managers were saying things, conducting business, doing things were, uh, were were not aligned with the way that the expectations had been set with the candidate from talent acquisition. Or there was weeks, maybe two weeks of gap between the second or third interview. There were days and weeks ahead of delivering an offer when 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 a candidate was selected. And what we found was and, and this is very common with a lot of mid-sized businesses, private companies, manufacturing specifically, is that these folks were looking for the perfect candidate. They had this concept in mind and they're trying to take this person who's already been through five rounds of interview and invested loads of time into this company's 
you know, a recruitment uh, pipeline, if you will. And it gets to that final stage where they just, they, they can't, they, they, they can't click the button. They can't say yes or no. So we try to eradicate, we encourage companies to eradicate the maybe from their vernacular. Uh, it's either yes or no. And the quicker you can either get to yes or no, the better, so that you can either move on and find new op- new candidates uh, or, or change gears in the way that the search is, is progressing. Or you know you can make an offer and say, hey, we're taking a calculated risk. It's never going to be perfect. Let's get this person, evaluate them on the job. If it doesn't work out, we'll make a change from there. Yeah, that's so. What was specifically would you say in that experience where you saw you know this sort of extended cycle of you know let's talk to them one more time, let's just be sure. Let's what was really driving that that sort of you know, seeking perfection? What was it that was the snag point for them? You know, in that whole process, was it checking every box? Was it you know who they were going to replace or what role they were going to replace. I mean, what was holding them back from really making that, like you said, a calculated risk, as I think it always is going to be a calculated risk when it comes to that. But what was holding it back? Yeah, it's a variety of things. Um, A a lot of times it's it's that cultural fit. And I'll come back to that, kind of the cultural fit. Oh, well, you know, they check all the boxes uh, uh, tactically, technically, uh, aptitude, education, all of these credentials and qualifications, but oh, it's just not the right culture fit. And so I want to come back to that because I think every company, it's important to identify what every company's culture is, but it's also important to look at potential new hires as culture upgrades for the company. Um, a, a lot of times we we see this, this re- replacing somebody who left that was a great employee that for whatever reason changed jobs, left the company. And and stuck in the company's mindset that we have to replace this person as a mirror. We need a clone. Back in my recruiting and staffing days, I can't tell you how many times I would get a call from a client saying, hey, we had this guy just leave. We had this gal just leave. It's a huge gap. Uh, he or she was so good at what they did. They were here for X amount of years. Well-valued. We hate the loser. We, we tried to keep him. Uh, we want to replicate that person. We need a clone of that person. So the amateur recruiter thinks, oh, that's easy. Let me just mirror image and make a you know a, a, a carbon copy of this person. Just give me their resume and I'll try to I'll try to mimic it. That significantly lightens the candidate pool. It takes things so much smaller and limits the amount of acceptable candidates that even if you have a good candidate, it's going to be perceived as not a match because it's not perfect carbon copy. That's that's a big challenge. But the culture thing, uh, mirroring or mimicking a, a person who was in the role prior, sometimes that's seen as a negative that, hey, this person, we met this person, they're great, they can do the job, but they remind me of somebody we used to have who we didn't like. <laughs> this is a big thing in manufacturing manufacturing and other industries that they used to tell me again, back in the recruiting days, they'd say, I don't want anyone from banking, nobody from finance, because we had a guy here once that worked in banking and he was not a fit. And I'll tell you, anyone from banking is not going to work. So making absolutes in the hiring process to Adrian, I think is a big miss, a, a big miss that companies have with recruiting. Um, and then focused on education. So many times uh, companies get it in their own way when it comes down to educational background and degree or 
it wasn't the right college or they didn't have a degree in this. So they can't possibly be capable of doing the work. At the end of the day, every company is unique and it's a training ground for the work that they're going to be doing. Um, and when we find that there's more times than not, the person who has better work experience, more applicable work experience is a better fit than somebody who maybe has all the credentials on the wall. Sure. Well, and get back to the culture thing, because you said you had more on culture. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So culture fit, it, it's it's one of those things. It's a it's a it's a good buzzword. And it sounds like you're really focused on things more than just academics, more than credentials, more than qualifications and experience. You're focused on culture. But sometimes it backfires. A lot of times it backfires because the company has this culture in mind. But does the company have true alignment on what their culture really is? Is the hiring manager aligned with the recruiting team, aligned with the HR team, aligned with the company leadership on what their culture fits? really is. So there's times where we've worked with small businesses that say, hey, for example, crazy, it's like political. One of the biggest faux pas in evaluating candidates. We had a client one time say, hey, you know, I'm very involved with the conservative Republican Party. And anybody that we hire this is a small company, they really got to be on board with that. We had to educate him. And I've seen this countless times in the recruiting staffing days where candidates were turned down because they didn't quite align with these either belief systems. And, and so the, the, it builds up these biases that you have to fit into this box and this mold of our organization to be successful. When in reality, companies are, should, should always be dynamic. They should be evolving. They should be looking for opportunities where they can be more creative, more strategic, more savvy, uh, more exposure, more exposure to new ideas. So we now encourage companies, and, and this is very popular in the modern day, is to, is to look at candidates as culture graves instead of a culture fit. We don't want, a, a, again, a carbon copy of everybody else that's in this organization. We should be focused on people that are going to enhance the others and maybe even level up the people that are, are some of the bottom performers, perhaps, because by bringing in somebody else that motivates that person to to work a little bit harder or you know maybe they don't like that culture fit but they like the job they like the work they're doing so we we encourage companies to uh invest in candidates that could be potentially culture upgrades yeah i would say in my experience i have seen a lot of that even just tending to want to hire or favor people that are exactly like you um, which again, I mean, you, you miss out on a lot of things when it comes to that. And also you get a lot of group think, right. But, you know, yeah. a question from, a, how do you take action on this or how do you make change with that? I mean, what are some thoughts you have on, you know, being able to, to navigate this whole culture thing during that process of recruiting? I mean, you know, again, like you said, you do have a, a tendency to have misalignment because even culturally, this is certainly, at least my opinion, my experience is you have kind of the, you have the company culture and then you have the departmental culture. Those are two very different sure. things, right? They're not in alignment. I guess, how do you just navigate that whole space when you're in recruiting to even capture whether this person is an upgrade to the culture or, you know, is there anything there that helps you get a pulse of kind of what they're bringing in that space beyond the technical and things like that? Any thoughts there? 
Yeah, I, I would personally, and, and and we as an organization, encourage companies to have some talent forum, right? If it's a if it's a culture, excuse me, if it's a quarterly thing, if it's a biannual thing, depending on the size and structure of the organization, how many people they anticipate hiring year over year, to have a talent forum, right? And that's made up of key individuals of each different department. Could be HR. You know, somebody from finance, and it doesn't have to be the leadership. I would encourage companies not to just pick the head of finance and the head of marketing and the head of sales to be a part of this talent forum, but bring people that are top performers in their own right to evaluate, okay, how can we replicate success with hiring based on the knowledge of what these individuals see of the inner workings of the organization, especially small companies that are maybe a little bit top heavy. And and they've got folks at the at the very top making these decisions on hiring or culture, whatever it is. So, um, bringing in folks that maybe are more junior, uh, maybe from differing backgrounds, having a diverse panel, if you will, for for uh, uh, this talent forum, and and talk about it openly, discuss it, talk about positives and negatives. Again, miscommunication, misalignment cause a lot of challenges and a lot of missed opportunities with hiring that by getting all these folks together on a regular basis, on a routine calendar, I don't care if it's a if it's a lunch and learn, I don't care if it's a go sit in the park on a nice day for an hour and a half, I don't care if it's on Zoom, whatever it has to be, it needs to be intentional, it needs to be taken seriously, it needs to be prioritized. Otherwise, you're always gonna have whoever's the person at the top of the uh, of the hierarchy making those final decisions. It's another way to encourage companies to get lifelong, you know, raving fans by including somebody who's not traditionally at the table in these kind of discussions and bringing them in and asking their opinion on, hey, how do we build a bigger, better, more smarter organization? And we want your opinion. How good is that going to make somebody feel who's traditionally not at the table? It's a pretty cool, it's, it's a pretty cool feeling. So talent forums, routine. Uh, uh, scheduled, uh, concrete one hour, two hours discussion is all it takes as long as everyone's aligned. And then there's follow up from that, that that make sure that everybody stays aligned. And, and it's not just a meeting for another sake of meetings, but having a plan of action of, okay, what are we going to look for following this talent forum? What I, what I really like about that is, you know, when you look at lean methodologies and some of the things that we do at the operational level, you know, you really do focus on the people and you get your people involved in it. And I like the idea that there's an opportunity here to draw, you know, people from your organization at all levels to have discussion about kind of, you know, where are we at? What is our culture really representing? What's some feedback and and really getting some you know, voice of the customer, if you will, your internal customer when it comes to mm-hmm. recruitment, I really like that because that that makes a lot of good sense because you would do it with your processes because the people most intimately involved in your processes that really know what's going on are the people that are actually doing the work, right? Absolutely. So, you know, you have some blind spots between those layers and you often miss them without that that feedback coming back from the floor, from the process. I like the idea that this can extend beyond traditional sure. operational processes to 
support processes like those recruiting um, activities that happen. So it really lends itself to a lot of the same methodologies you would use in operations to optimize and get voice of internal customers. So I really like that. And don't mistake, it, it doesn't matter if this company's hiring five people a year or 50 people a year, or uh, if if it's reoccurring vacancies in production that it, it, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's, it's about every company having their own unique identity but more importantly, it's about having a plan, right? An emergency plan or a preparation plan. You see the billboards like on the highway sometimes, or it's like, hey, disaster preparedness, have a plan for your family. You don't want to be scrambling to figure out what you're going to do when 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 your house catches on fire, right? Or there's a tornado. You don't want to be trying to figure out the plan of action of what to do with your loved ones and your valuables or whatever. Same thing for an organization. When a high potential person walks out the door, surprisingly on a Friday afternoon, and you're sitting there pointing fingers, well, what what do we do? Well, you're already behind the eight ball. You're already way behind. And now you're competing uh, with, with, with other organizations for the top talent. So you certainly can't have those expectations of getting top talent when you weren't prepared for it. That's, I would say that's very true. And I've seen that happen sort of firsthand is nobody really, <laughs> I guess they didn't think it was feasible that person would be gone. And then by the time that it's happened, there's so much that you just don't, I mean, even scurrying to understand everything that person had ownership of and what skills were required to do that job. There's a lot of panic that happens at that point to like, okay, how? how what is the job? Who, who, what kind of skills do they need? We you know, we got to get this posted. There's like this, this sense of, you know, panic that happens. So, yeah. And, yeah. and, and what, what, of course, that's the first thing we got to get this posted. So now what you're, what you're doing is you're going into this, 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 uh, this vast network of active candidates that are also applying to however many other jobs and also applying and vetting. Do I really want to check those, those folks out? Do I, I've already got this interview you're 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 now putting yourself below those that have already posted similar jobs ahead of you. So that's always what we hear. It's so funny you say that, Adrian. We got to get this posted. We got to get this posted. You're way behind the competition. You're also way behind the mark on getting top talent. Even more so, you can't be holding yourself to, well, this isn't the perfect candidate. Well, what do you expect? It's like, you know, there's a hurricane warning and they told you to get out of the coastal town two days ago. And now you're trying to go to the grocery store to pick up supplies. What do you expect when they're out of bread and milk? I mean, so <laughs> to make it work. <laughs> it's, right. It, it, it sounds it, it, it sounds like I'm being tough and, and it is a little tough love, but we see it over and over again. And then the only philosophy is, well, we've got to go to the experts to do this. And they go to folks that, you know, from the industry of which I came and they, they're writing checks for 15, 20, 25, $30,000 just to fill one position when maybe if they had had some plans in place prior to this resignation or this gap occurring, they could have figured it out on their own for free. I'd like to just briefly touch on that because I, how can you, you know, be more proactive in that? Because, you know, I guess the typical cadence would be, uh, you know, we have people in that role, then all of a sudden there's a retirement announced or, you know, if you're lucky, you get a two weeks notice and they just don't walk out um, or something doesn't happen there. And then, you know, you're like, okay, now I've got an opening. So to your point, we're going to do a posting. 
how do you flip the script on that and start having sort of a system or framework for preparing for what at some point may be imminent before it ever happens, regardless of circumstance? Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you get in front of it versus, you know, the tails wagging the dog kind of thing? I mean, how do you get mobilized around it far in advance and, and be ready to to move forward, however that goes. I mean, what's what's some strategies there you would suggest? Yeah. So first, it's it's an HR philosophy called succession planning. Well, not necessarily an HR function, um, but it's usually led from from led by HR is having a succession plan in place and looking at high potential employees of what if this person, for for lack of better words, got hit by a bus. Okay, that's the phrasing we hear a lot in the industry. What if this person left tomorrow? And what are we going to do? Do we have people in place that we could upskill? Could we disseminate this work to a couple of different people? Um, So having a succession plan in place goes back to that talent forum of having a plan of action so that you're not caught by surprise. There's always going to be a surprise resignation. It happens in business. It happens in life. There's going to be things that change. but having a plan in place organizationally uh, is really good. And maybe that part of that succession plan is, wait, there's no one else here. There's no one else here that could backfill this individual if they left. Okay, so then what else are you going to do? You have to be prepared to backfill it with, with somebody. So what's the easiest way to do it? Is it posting and now you're going back to the grocery store after you, you, you know, you're already dealing with days and weeks of lack of production because that person resigned? We encourage companies, and this is how the best headhunters do it, is to create a talent network, okay? And in reality, it takes recruiting and staffing professionals at least a year to 18 months to really be productive, okay? And what they're doing is they're building a spider web. They're building a network of professionals in a specific discipline. So if you know that finance is always a hard job to fill, you should always be talking to finance professionals and you record their information and you document their information and you conduct it and treat it as if it were a true interview. Okay. You set proper expectations with the person. Hey, you're the type of people we look to hire. We don't have vacancies right now, but we really like your profile. We really want to keep in contact with you. We'll have you on our newsletter each week. Okay. But then you record that data. We find the companies lose so much wasted time of interviewing candidates that are runners up, third runners up for a job, and then they never talk to them again. The best recruiters in the world have very documented, succinct, and deep, deep databases of people's information, candidates' backgrounds, their skills, software experience, technical nature, compensation requirements, location, uh, commutable distance, right? Even some personal attributes about them from a culture standpoint, and they build that up over time. So just because somebody resigns today and you're interviewing for a position to backfill that job right now, yes, that is the most important thing. You could be looking at that candidate that you're investing 30, 45 minutes, an hour with, as a potential future hire. And now it's a warm call, even if it's six months, eight months, 10 months, two years in the future, it's a warm call or warm outreach. Hey, 
Adrian, I don't know if you remember me. We interviewed here at XY Manufacturing last year. We really liked you. Hey, look, we got a new opening. What's going on in your career? We'd love to reconnect with you. How good does that feel if you're the candidate to get that message from a year prior? Right? Because no one else is doing it. No other companies do that. They're not planning ahead. So it's important for companies to build out a network that when a vacancy pops up, they're not going to the grocery store when it's two days after the hurricane announcements. They've already got a stockpile potentially in their basement that they can pull resources from. So building a talent network and, and being proactive with a succession plan, that's how you prepare for a disaster. That's that's a really solid strategy. If you I mean, because I, I can't recall ever seeing anyone going back to that pool of people they may have talked to before. It's almost like we're you go on factory reset. It's a whole nother series of of taking in resumes and yeah. you know Not that whole process. Yeah, yeah. And and so you you kind of miss out, like you said, because it, it could just be, you know, things didn't align the first time. But now all of a sudden the circumstances perfectly align and that person was, yeah. you know, a good fit, but missed a few things. But here in this particular role, it's a perfect fit, but you completely yeah. miss out because you just kind of <laughs> sort of chuck everything in the trash and like move on your next set of resumes. Let's let's start recruiting for this job. And um, I don't know if there's a lot of really good systems in place for a lot of people to do that and retain that information. But I think it's a good strategy if, it, if at all possible, even if it's a even if we're still doing the old school paper copies, keeping a file cabinet if you have to, you know, if you're not that a, to a point, you have a database, yeah. hey, whatever works, right? Excel spreadsheet, yeah, a data, a, a file cabinet with resumes in it with your unique notes on there, or whoever's notes on there. Um, and, and another perspective too, is a lot of companies don't think of is the candidate's point of view, who's out there looking at the job boards and seeing your company posting these same jobs every six months. Mm -hmm. Right. And and they're perusing the job boards just to see what's going on in the market. And they see your company. Huh. Huh. Well, what are they to think if they see the same kind of job posted month over month, quarter over quarter? I wouldn't touch that. <laughs> you know, it, it looks like there's something that uh, they can't keep people there. So clearly this is not a good place to work. I don't want to I'm not even going to apply. Right. Yeah, and probably see that more often, you know, these days, just because you're maybe not six months, hopefully not, but, you know, at least on a two-year churn either way. But like you said, people people are much more active on job boards, on LinkedIn jobs. Just, I don't know what it is, but just sort of, like you said, perusing it, seeing what's out there, seeing what's going on. And again, if you see something too frequently, you start to, your spidey sense goes off a bit and you think there's probably mm -hmm. something behind that, right? <laughs> Right. So this, well, part this of the reason to think about. Yeah. And, and it's in the post COVID work era, you know, folks have gotten this feeling of always there's something there's something better. There, there's there's not this you know mentality of I got to stay with the same job for X amount of years. Like they may have been laid off or may have been impacted or maybe they worked remote and then now they have to go back into the office and they say, well, I, I just did three years successfully working remote. Why, why do I need to go back to the office? So it, it, it's creating kind of a on the job seeker side, it's more of an opportunistic culture than loyalty. So we we also encourage from a recruiting standpoint, the best recruiting strategy is strong retention strategies. 
Like, how can you keep your best people happy and keep them engaged and keep them producing and keep them seeing the future with this organization rather than perusing the job boards occasionally or taking that phone call from an agency recruiter that happens to ping them one day? How can you keep them happy so you don't have to worry about backfilling the job in the first place? Absolutely. Absolutely. We talk a lot about that. Um, we've talked about it in previous episodes, but you know, something that you you mentioned that I think really does tie back to that is if you are having those conversations with the broader group in your organization, you're not only getting data points for your recruitment purposes and things that you need to look at for culture fit, it may just serendipitously bubble up some of those things you need to think about from a retention standpoint as well, right? Things they may be looking for because they're going to voice concerns or things that they think make the culture the way it is. So you have a a captive audience, you have an opportunity to yeah. use that kind of twofold, right? For not only how you're going to bring the right people in the door that that help to optimize performance, um, but also are there things there that keep the really strong ones with you? The people that really deliver and really are good employees and seem to be bought into the culture, how do you maintain, right? And how do you kind of sustain the the gains you've already gotten? So I think it's it's got some twofold benefits. So I like the idea of that. Um, well, Mark, you include yeah. them in your talent forum, right? Include yes. those people in your talent forum. Absolutely. And well, and, and that's the thing is a lot of people do even now, it may not be the 50 year employees. I think they're slowly starting to retire um, the 50 plus, but you have some that are very seasoned, you know, that sure. have seen a lot of change and still are with you and still come in every day with an energy level that you're just like, man, you really love what you do and you love being here. It's like, how do you kind of put that lightning in a bottle and how do you make sure that you're helping to, you know, you're a 10 year employee, but let's go for, let's go for 20. If you're, if you're, if you're interested, you know, let's, but you need that, you need the input as to what those driving factors are and what might be um, dissatisfiers and how you avoid them. So I, I think you've like, to your point, let's maximize that time you spend and get really good information um, from your, from your group of employees, not only from the, you know, recruiting side, but maybe what, what keeps them happy, what keeps them there. I mean, it's, it'd be a missed opportunity. It'd be another miss if you didn't do that. Right. <laughs> and I promise you, it's not just a, like a chocolate cake on their anniversary date. Yeah. That, yeah. That, it needs to be more than that. So yeah. whatever it is for your organization, maybe get to know your personnel a little bit better. So, you know, what's going to be something that they really appreciate, uh, not just a, a cake, uh, with the icing in, in, in 12 years, you know, on it that you got from Harris Teeter. <laughs> yeah, or something from the the company shop, the branded company shop with the logo, yeah, exactly. like a new shirt. Yeah, yeah, we tend to fall in the same practices. And, and I can say that because we did it. Um, you kind of fall into the same practices. And sometimes after a while, it's kind of like anything else. I always compare it to... Um, you know, there was always this case of like the... Remember Doubletree always did the, the warm chocolate chip cookie, right? That used to be oh, a major yeah. delighter. But sure. any on any given day right now, people roll up to the double tree and like cookie. You know what I mean? It's like it's no longer Where a delight, it's a base expectation, right? I think you always kind of operate that same way around things that you you feel are delighters and in, in incentives and things that that drive people to still feel connected to it. So I, I always go back to that double tree example because. I mean, it's really true. There was a time where it was like, what a wonderful surprise. Now it's like, that's the base expectation. What, what else do you got? Exactly. You know? 
and now we're paying for bread, uh, you know, at the, at the start of dinner, you, you know, you don't just get a, a basket of bread and butter, right? You got, you got to pay for that. So um, <laughs> that's a, that's a good point. Well, Mark, I really appreciate your time. This has been a great conversation. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of really great strategies in there that people probably haven't thought about, but um, definitely I don't think that the workforce situation and the need to hire and retain people is, is going to, um, decline at any point uh, in the near future. So definitely some actionable strategies today. I really appreciate you sharing those. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Six M's of Manufacturing podcast. Thanks to Mark Wojcik for shedding light on some of the prevalent pains and pitfalls of modern hiring practices. Visit the episode notes for details and reference links to information shared during today's discussion. Did you enjoy this episode? That's awesome. Follow our podcast and share with your network. And remember, don't just make it, make it better.